what does this have to do with the world liking us? You need to understand God's estimate of you as one who believes in Christ is very different than the world's estimate of you. The world hates us and says that we're not worth very much. We're just a bunch of unsophisticated fanatics who really don't know what's going on. God has a much different view and God's view is correct. Do you ever feel like the world hates you or at least rejects you? If you're a Christ follower, do you feel like a second-class citizen because of your faith? Maybe you've been labeled a fanatic because of your Christian lifestyle. I find it interesting that a person who goes to the game every weekend, who spends tons of money on team logo shirts, hats, and coffee cups, is a fan. But someone who goes to church every week, spends time reading the Bible, and tries to live a life of obedience to their Savior, Lord, and Creator is called a fanatic. Well, there are reasons for that, and we'll be hearing some of them today as we look into the lives of some of the heroes of the faith. We will also find out how we should respond to the example that those heroes set for us. You are listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been ministering at Lakeside for over 25 years. Verse by Verse Ministries expands his teaching ministry by making his messages available to you through these daily Bible classes of the air. Today is the conclusion of Pastor Steve's 10th message about the heroes of the faith. His first reference will be Hebrews 11.37. We like to think of the heroes of the faith as living triumphant lives, but in fact many of them, if not most of them, lived absolutely miserable lives, and many of them died horrible deaths. Let me just read verse 37 for you, and then we'll turn it over to Pastor Steve. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. And then the beginning of verse 38 to finish the sentence, of whom the world was not worthy. So there is a real reason, a twisted one, but a very real one, why we sometimes have such a hard time living for the Lord. It does make me feel a little better to know that it's not me that people are rejecting, but it's really Jesus. On the other hand, it still hurts to know that my Lord is hated, and it can be especially painful to think about the consequences to my loved ones if they continue to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Pastor Steve will be right back to talk about our response to those who mistreat us for our faith. We would like to introduce ourselves first, though, to those who might have just tuned in. You're listening to Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our class today is part of an in-depth study of the heroes of the faith. Our main text has been Hebrews chapter 11, which is also known as the faith chapter. If you missed the start of class today and would like to hear it, it's available on our website, versebyverseradio.org. I'll give the address again at the end of our class. It says, the writer says, they were tempted. This probably means that they were tempted to apostatize, that is, to, to deny their faith. We're not sure any more than that. It says, others were put to death with the sword. At the time of Ahab and, and Jezebel and the prophet Elijah, many prophets were killed by the sword. 1 Kings 19, verse 10. Jezebel had many true prophets killed by the sword. And some of the Old Testament characters, while they may not have been killed, lived under miserable conditions, miserable conditions because of their faith. Notice verse 30, the rest of 37 and 38. 
They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. And here's a parenthesis, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. In other words, they were poverty-stricken. They were mistreated. They were, they were made refugees on the face of the earth. Now imagine that. Think about that. The men and women that we admire the most, we study about them. They're in our hall of fame. If we had their pictures, we'd want to put it in the lobby and say, these are the great men, the great women. We, we study them, we emulate them, but in their day, they were not considered great. They were poor, they were homeless, they were ill-treated individuals. You might have even thought that the official uniform for a prophet was sheepskin. You know, that's what prophets do. They went into a store and they said, I'll have um, a prophet, I'll get that sheepskin or goatskin. But no, you might have thought, well, that's the way prophets are supposed to look. So everybody knows they're prophets. No, that's the way they had to look because they didn't have enough money to buy anything else. That's what the writer is saying. Men like Elijah and John the Baptist, they dressed that way because they were too poor to buy other clothing. That's why. And the people they ministered to continually afflicted them, even to the point of driving them from their homes. And they wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and, and even holes in the ground. And, and in Israel, that is the uh, topography. In fact, I remember when we went up to En Gedi, which is where David hid from Saul, Many caves around there, many places for David to, to have hid. And that's just the topography of much of, of, uh, of Israel. Now, there are two issues that I want us to look at concerning our, our faith and suffering for faith. Two issues that are related to this and very, very important for us. You need to ask yourself, and you need to have a biblical answer as to why. Why do we suffer for our faith? Why is it? Why does the world want to mistreat us simply for believing God's word? What difference does it make to them? Why should they care because we believe the Bible? I'll tell you why. Because our faith is a constant rebuke to the world and everything they stand for. Because when we have come to Christ and we believe the word of God, we in essence are saying to them, we have turned our backs on your value system and your standards. We were there, but we reject it. And so they're very threatened by that because it's a, it's a rejection of everything they hold dear. And I want you to see that this is not simply my opinion. John chapter 15. Let's turn to John 15. This is not something I just made up and sounds good. John chapter 15, verse 18. This is what Jesus said. And I've talked from this many times, but you ought to understand the, the psychology and the mentality behind persecution. It isn't that the world just gets together and thinks that they'll do this because it's fun. There, there, is, there is a legitimate reason behind this. As perverted as it might be, it, there is a real reason. John chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus said, if the world hates you, and it should be translated since the world hates you, not if in the sense of they might not, they do. They do. Since the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Verse 19, if you were of the world, that is to say, if you were not a Christian, if you, if you accepted the world's standards and value system and so forth and ambitions and desires, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Why? Because if you're part of that system, you affirm that system. 
You say, in essence, we're right. We're right. But because you are not of the world, because, in other words, you said to the world, you're wrong. Because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That's why the world hates you. When you come to Christ, you reject the world's value system and their standards. That is absolutely the case. And those who don't know Christ, they don't want to be reminded of this. You're an irritant to them. We are a constant rebuke to them, so they attempt to eliminate and silence our witness. But I want you to be encouraged. It's not really you. There's nothing personal about this. They may even like you personally. The real person that they, that they hate primarily is Jesus. Verse 20 says this, Remember the word that I said to you? And, and he told them this before. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, and they did, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. In other words, the way they treat me is the way they're going to treat you. So it ought not to surprise us. So why don't they treat Christ this way? Well, they can't get to him anymore. He's in heaven now. We are his body on earth. His physical, literal body is in heaven. They can't get to him anymore, so they come after us. And here's the, here's the insidiousness of it all. And the, and the perverted wickedness of it all, because much of the hatred comes from people you would never expect. Religious people. Religious people. Jump down, if you will, to chapter 16 of John, verses 1 through 3. Now, when I say religious, I'm making a distinction between those who know Christ and those who have a religion. We have a relationship with Christ. We don't have a religious system. I don't have a religion. I have Christ. Chapter 16, verse 1, these things Jesus said, I have spoken to you that you may be kept from stumbling. So in other words, before this happens, I want you to know it so it's not going to blow you away when it does happen. They will make you outcast from where? The synagogue. The only people who could do that were were the Jewish religious authorities. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. That's the demented, twisted thinking. That's where Saul was, who became Paul. That's where he used to be. He thought he was serving God. And these things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. They're religious. They're playing games at religion, but they really don't have a relationship. See, our faith is a threat to their religious game playing. They only pretend to love God. They don't love God. You say, how could you possibly say that? Well, look at verse 23 of chapter 15. He who hates me hates my Father also. If they hate Christ, they they hate the Father. They don't know the Father. They don't love the Father. They're playing games. They only pretend to love God. They actually hate him. And they are threatened because our faith threatens to unmask their hypocrisy. That's what Jesus did. He unmasked the religious hypocrisy of his day, and they killed him for it. They said, well, not tolerate this. Jesus said all kinds of things that that rebuked their lack of holiness. They were legalists. They had everything going for them on the outside, but inside they were wicked, and Jesus exposed their heart, and they said, we're not going to tolerate this. So that's the first issue. Why does the world come after us? Because our faith is a rebuke to them. That's why they don't, that's why they're so threatened by this. That's why they're not tolerant of us. They're, they pride themselves on being tolerant of everything but those who believe the Bible. There's a second issue. A second question, what should our response be to those who hate us for our faith? Because the natural tendency is to just retreat, then I'll keep quiet. If it brings about this much trouble, why bother going through this? The answer is found in in chapter 15 of John, where we are, verses 26 and 27. 
When the Helper comes, and that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, and he explains that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. So he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, after I go, he'll bear witness of me. You say, good, I'm glad that I don't have to do that, because they'll beat me for it. Well, you didn't read verse 27. And you will bear witness also, because you have been with me from the beginning. We are to, to witness for Christ. That's how we handle the world's hatred of us. We tell a world who hates us that God loves them. I mean, it's a paradox, but that's what our commission is, even if, if the results are persecution. In fact, and when we talk about persecution, it doesn't mean every day of your life you're going to be persecuted. It just means that there will be incidents of it somewhere along the line, whether it's physical or mental. It could just mean losing a friend or not being popular with your family anymore. Or having your mother or father think less of you. Think that you're a fanatic. It could mean just that. But 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You will. Either you are not in Christ Jesus, if you're not suffering persecution, or you are not living godly in Christ Jesus. But if you live godly in Christ Jesus, inevitably you're going to clash with the thinking of the world or else you're going to have to compromise. Now, if you're like me, you might struggle with this. And let's be honest. We all want to be well-liked, and we all want to be well-thought-of and admired. I mean, I've met people who say things like, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. You know what I think? You're a liar. You do care what people think. Everybody cares what people think about them. And when you hear someone says, I don't care what they think, and who are you deceiving? Everybody wants to be liked. That's, that's human nature. We all want to be well-liked and well-thought-of. But look at, at the beginning of Hebrews 11, verse 38. And this will put things in perspective. The, the truth of the matter is, is that nobody enjoys being disliked. Nobody enjoys being disliked. I don't care what they say. But notice what the writer says about these people. Men, and this is the parentheses, men of whom the world was not worthy. Wow, that, that is great. Men of whom the world was not worthy. The world thought that these people of faith weren't worthy to live on the face of the earth. But God says just the opposite. The world wasn't worthy of them. In other words, in God's eyes, these mistreated, suffering servants of his were worth more than the people who, who persecuted them. They were more valuable than the whole unbelieving world. They towered above those who persecuted them. They were more significant. Now, what does this have to do with, with the world liking us? You need to understand God's estimate of you as a, as a one who believes in Christ is very different than the world's estimate of you. The world hates us and says that we're not worth very much. We're just a bunch of unsophisticated fanatics who really don't know what's going on. God has a much different view, and God's view is correct. The world hates us. God says you're more significant and more valuable than the world. You're more, you're more important. And therefore, if we understand what God's estimate is of us, and that is the only correct one, may every man be a liar, but God be found true, the scripture says. If that's how God thinks of us, then we need to seek only the approval of God, not man's approval, not men's approval, only the approval of God. Talk about having a struggle with, with self-esteem. If you understand what God says about you, it doesn't matter what anybody else says about you because they are wrong. If you have trusted Jesus Christ, God says, and it applies to you, 
men and women of whom the world was not worthy, regardless of how they treat you. So if you understand this, you'll be free from trying to be liked and admired and compromise and get everybody to say, oh, you're so wonderful. You'll be free to obey God, even if it costs you dearly, and it might. And that's exactly the way these Old Testament characters lived. It cost them, in many cases, their own lives. Now, God commended them for their faith, but here's the whole point as we wrap this up. Don't turn your minds off or you'll miss all of chapter 11. This is the point. God is going to sum this up and, and make the application of chapter 11 in verses 39 and 40. Verse 39. Here's the summation of it. Here's the whole point. And all these having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Let's stop here. All of the men and women mentioned in chapter 11 were heroes of faith, right? That's what he says. They all gained approval of God by their faith. Yet none of them received the promise of God. Now, what promise is he referring to? You might say, well, well, didn't he speak about the promise of the land of Israel to the Jewish people? Uh, he did when he was talking about Abraham, but it can't be that. That's not the promise he's referring to. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because he says all of these received this promise. He speaks about Enoch. He speaks about Noah. They didn't have any promise of a land. So he can't be referring to that. What's the promise that every Old Testament character was given? But none ever lived to see its fulfillment. It is the coming of Messiah. It, it is the coming of Messiah. Even Enoch knew about it. Even Noah knew about it because in Genesis 3.15 speaks of messianic prophecy and the seed of the woman and so forth. They all knew about that. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, listen to this. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. The prophets longed to find out when is he coming? What generation will experience him? When and, and how is this Messiah coming? And they never lived to experience that. None of the Old Testament prophets ever saw the fulfillment in their lifetime. But they believed. They believed. They believed God would keep his word even though they didn't see it. Now, he, the writer sums this all up in verse 40. Because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And perfect means complete. That's, that's the thought here. In other words, what he's talking about in, in the coming of Christ, and the coming of Christ brought New Testament covenant blessings, uh, these men and women did not have the substance of that. They, yes, they had salvation, but they did not have the, the uh, same exact thing that we had. They were saved, in a sense, on credit. They looked forward to the coming of Christ. They had limited knowledge, limited understanding, they actually, uh, it didn't become a, a precise reality, their salvation, until Jesus died. We are the people from the New Testament era on, from Christ's death on, who, who understand that salvation. We are the people who know that Christ has died precisely for our sins and understand the plan of salvation. To them, they just looked into the, into the distant future for it. But now that Christ has come, both New Testament believers and Old Testament believers have a complete 
perfect salvation. Theirs was always in anticipation of Christ. It was always based on the death of Christ, but it was in anticipation. Ours is based on fact of what has actually happened in time and history, and together we have a perfect salvation. That's what he's saying. Now, what's the point, you say? So, so what? So why does he sum it up like this? Here's the point. If the Old Testament believers who only had a limited understanding about Messiah and, and only had really promises about the coming Messiah and the future new covenant blessings, if they lived by faith and trusted God's word when they only had the shadows and didn't have the substance, then how much more should we who live in the full blaze of Jesus Christ and the full light of understanding, how much more should we live by faith? That's the whole point. That's the whole point. If the Old Testament heroes of faith who had limited truth about Christ achieved so much by faith, conquered kingdoms and did all of these and suffered so much for their faith when they had such little, so little understanding of Jesus Christ, then we who have so much more, how should we back down and not be loyal to Christ? That's his whole point. We should remain true to Christ whether we are delivered from our enemies or are delivered to our enemies. They had such limitations and yet they were the heroes of faith. We have so much more than them. How dare we not go on with Christ? How dare we remain or not remain true to him? How dare we denounce our faith when we have so much more than they ever had? That's the writer's point. It's a writer's point to the Hebrew believers and to us. We walk by faith, and we remain loyal to the Lord regardless of our circumstances. He's taken a long way to go through this, to get to this point. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I what? Trust him. That's the message here. We entered this chapter by asking the question, the writer said in chapter 10, the just shall live by faith. And we asked the question, which was a logical question, what does it exactly mean to walk by faith? And now you have the answer. To walk by faith means to trust Him regardless of the circumstances of life, whether they be good or whether they be bad. It's the whole message of Hebrews chapter 11. And I hope you'll apply these, these great truths to your life. Thank you, Pastor Steve. What an amazing example the Old Testament heroes of the faith have set for us. When we consider the faith displayed by the characters of Hebrews 11, how could we do anything other than remain faithful to Jesus no matter what happens? In fact, the author of Hebrews makes that very point. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 could easily have been included with chapter 11 since those verses tell us how we ought to respond. It says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, they are not witnessing us, but they are witnessing to us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. That's our proper response to persecution and rejection, endurance and patience, never losing sight of Jesus, who suffered for us far more than we ever have or will for him. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff, Pastor Steve has been ministering at Lakeside Community Chapel since 1981. 
Now his messages are available on this radio station through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and generous gifts of interested listeners who have first been faithful to their own church. You can hear this program again or listen to previous classes at our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Today's class was the third part of Pastor Steve's 10th message on the heroes of the faith and his 11th message overall from Hebrews chapter 11. If you would like to hear this entire message at once, you can order a cassette tape or audio CD by calling us at 727-239-0306. Leave your name and a number and we'll return your call during weekday office hours. That number again, 727-239-0306. We hope you will be in class with us again next time for another verse-by-verse study from God's Word. We still have a few more heroes to inspire us.